Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I sat down with my grandmother to talk about the hardships that she has faced in life and how she dealt with them. Despite not having a mental illness, my grandmother has a lot to teach us in terms of cultivating resiliency in life, as well as learning how to live in the moment. Enjoy. I'm here with my grandmother, Sandra Lemon, and this is the third episode of interview podcast and we're going to chat about a whole bunch of different things and see where it goes. So the first question that I have for you, I call her Granberry, so Granberry, is when you were younger, which wasn't that long ago, um, (laughs) what, did you ever have a conversation about mental health or, you know, life is going to be hard sometimes, or you're going to suffer, anything along those lines, would you say? No. Right. No. Um, I, I, and to be fair, Jake, I really um, lived a very, in many ways, I guess, a very sheltered life in that um, I, was, um, I was very privileged, and I don't say that in terms of necessarily monetary terms, I would right. say, my family were sort of middle class, you know, people. Yeah. Um, I would say the one thing that they uh, never um, sort of talked about or or worried out loud about that my sister and I were aware was financial stress or whatever, and so. And why um, do you think that that was? Um, I think. Probably there were two reasons. One, um, I would say that um, my father in particular didn't like talking about things in terms of how much they cost. Mm. Um, We were very fortunate because we did over time have some very beautiful things, um, particularly in clothes and stuff because of what he did and how he did it. So um, he was in that in the retail business. He did a lot of travel overseas. He brought back beautiful things, but they were always to be um, they were always to be respected, but not thought about in terms of how much they cost or how much better they were than what somebody else might have or might not have. So it was all about um, being able to appreciate things, but not to look at them as material sort of aspects. So I, I kind of grew up a little bit naive in that regard. And um, certainly, you know, I went to camp in the summer. Um, for a number of years, we had a cottage. Um, uh, there was never any question that I was going to go to McGill. Um, I didn't have any trouble getting into McGill. Um, did have, I had a couple of courses that I had some trouble with, but you figured out how to manage through that. Um, I guess one of, one of probably, um, the, as I recall, the most difficult um, times in... in uh, as I was in university, um, I had met Duncan when I was in first year and was gobsmacked. And in <laughs> That's a good third word. year, uh, in the summer of third year, 
he was in the Air Force and he met somebody else. And uh, while he really didn't, it just was a very difficult time in our relationship. Anyway, so when he came home in September, we kind of said, well, and I can't, who knows what or how, but the bottom line was we weren't seeing each other, which I sort of thought, well, okay, so that's really a drag. Um, and nobody's going to ask me out, and what am I going to do on the weekend? So I walked myself into Eaton's and got a job in the book department, and I had the best time. I mean, I met, I, I, was, I was sort of a reader, but I wasn't an extensive reader, but I met people who read and had fascinating conversations with them. So I did that Fridays and Saturdays um, over the fall, and then I worked at Christmas time. So I kind of, that's kind of how I dealt with that. Um, and then after Christmas, he, Duncan came back and asked me out, and that was fine. Um, um, and, um, you know, the rest is history. Much, you know, so... Um, and when would you say that the first time that you experienced deep sadness and, and maybe weren't aware up until that point that that was ever something that... I'd be sad, that sad. Yeah. Um, or can you remember? Well, I remember that was a... I, that certainly was a very big time. Right. Um, I guess probably the more, the most... The thing that made me the saddest was... Um, I we, m- My parents had very close friends who whose cottage was next door to us and we kind of all grew up together and we called them aunt and uncle even though they weren't our real aunts and uncles um, and um, because out of the four parents three were only children and my father had brothers and sisters but I think because there were three only children the friendship was very strong and I remember I remember distinctly um, how rocked I was when he died very suddenly of a heart attack. And he would have been in his 60s, I guess. I mean, which um, is, is, is quite young. And I was married at that time, but just. Um, and um, the last time I saw him was at Steffi's christening, I think, was the last time. So I, I guess that's probably the first time that probably life impinged on me in a way that I didn't expect, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's, but, the, you know, and then um, was really in 1967, we decided to move to Toronto, and that was huge, huge, because From I grew up in Montreal. Yeah. And in, in Montreal, um, it's a very small English community. So while Montreal is a big city, the community I grew up in wasn't that big. And I certainly I mean, I, every, I knew everybody. I'd known everybody all my life. So all of a sudden, I'm coming to Toronto, and I need to find a new doctor, and I need to find a new dentist. And I mean, that was, that was a bit challenging. And Sunday nights were really hard because that's when we always, you know, had Sunday dinners and stuff. So, and I, so I remember, I remember that. On the other hand, um, I also remember 
going, um, uh, well, we, we moved the 1st of December. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, there was no question that we were going home for Christmas, in my mind. Like, we would be back for, all the Christmas presents were wrapped and left in Montreal. Anyway, we got here, and Rindy, Rindy got chicken pox. So, um, yeah, anyway, I thought, oh my goodness, this is, which is awful, we won't be able to, I mean, it all seems so trite now, but um, anyway, and my father said, well, that's fine, we'll just bring all the Christmas presents, and we'll stay at the Park Plaza, and we'll have Christmas at the Park Plaza. Well, that didn't really turn me on. Anyway, long story short, we did get back to Montreal for Christmas. The kids got better and soon enough to go and do that. But those were sort of the kinds of things I can remember which would rock me. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, kind of, you, you, your life didn't stop. Right, you had so to, yeah. you still had to, you know, the, you still had to look after the kids, you still had to make the dinner, da da da. And we, we met some really, really nice people. We had some really good times here. Um, and it almost got so that I'd go back to Montreal and think, I'm really lucky, you know, because mm -hmm. I've grown by going somewhere else, somewhere different. So, um, uh, and then I guess um, all of a sudden we were moving to Kitchener. <laughs> so I did this once. Do I really have to do it again? Um, but you know, it's interesting, Jake. I, probably at those times they were hard, but th there's back. something. And I've talked to a number of my friends who are the same age as I am, and there's this sense of. Well, it was there to do, so you did it. I mean, you, you, you didn't really have a choice. Um, but um, also, um, as I sort of, you know, went through the parts of my life where, you know, Duncan became ill and, and died, and while that was a very sad time, there were some very special times in that six months. Because he, and, and, and I mean, in that six months, we laughed about the fact that, you know, he would travel and he would go and coach baseball teams. And he, you know, he was, he, he was not someone who was at home all the time. And we just, I mean, we did laugh about the fact that for those six months, there's really just, you know, the two of us. Um, but, um, and that, I mean, that was, that was huge. You know, there were so many people who cared about him, who cared about me, who cared about Randy and staff. Um, you know that, um, and 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 you you sort of had six months, and and I we also had the benefit of a very very special um, GP, the, our doctor, um, and I can remember he came to see us, and he said so. You know, I'm Duncan's doctor, but I'm also your doctor and Rindy and Steffi's doctor. So it's about you as well. And and I can remember saying to him, I can't imagine, you know, knowing this six months, knowing Duncan's going to die. And he said to me, Sandra, and I said to me, it would be so much better if you just were gone. And he said, you know what? 
someday you're going to say to me, I was so lucky because this, it's so much better and, well, better, but it, it's so much, there's so much more exchange, more memories made and stuff um, than if, you know, and then how many years later, Grandmommy and Granddaddy were killed in a car accident. I mean, that was, but it's, it's shock. You know, it's, um, you almost get numb you just you you just don't um and so that's what I wanted to you know kind of talk about too because I admire you as one of the most optimistic joyful kind loving people in my life and despite that you know looking at what you've been through it's it's been a real challenge for you and so you've developed cultivated this ability to well, I think that's that is possible. But having said that, um, I have had the privilege of some really good support right. from a, a psychologist, and we've talked about that. And I said, so how come? Like, what is it? And I mean, I guess there's been times in my life when I've almost felt guilty that I, you know, didn't and and. And, and I can remember, Didn't feel really sad. Well, well, no, it wasn't that I never... And I can feel really sad. Mm-hmm. I can feel really sad. And it's like a... Um, for me, it's like I got a stone on my chest. You know, I just... It's... Um, and so I get... I get physical sort of sadnesses about things. So it's not that I don't get sad. And it's not that I don't... Um, that things don't affect me deeply... Um, you know, there are certain people um, who have, you know, when th- that, that, that things happen to them that make me incredibly sad. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, you know, and if anybody I love is, a, is, is in trouble, then I, I do get really sad. Having said that, um, I also realize that um, I've had many conversations about the difference between compassion and empathy. And so it's one thing to, um, to and I can't remember which is which. One is it's all-encompassing and the other That's is... That's the empathy one, I think. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. the compassion is that you are compassionate um, and, and you do what you can, but you also have to, you, 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 can't, you can't put yourselves, you can't take on the situation. And I think, you know, I've talked, I've talked to this psychologist who has been so amazing with me and for me and to me, and, that, and I, you know, I've said to her, how do you do what you do every day? And that's how we got into this this conversation. Um, and it's not that she's um, remote or doesn't sort of feel or understand, um, but um, but she know she knows how to um, not take it on her, herself. So. And we've talked about why, how I've been able to be resilient. 
Uh, and and you know, she's one of those people who say, well, what, what do you think? Why do you think? And, and certain, I mean, the other thing that was um, desperate for me was Annie Steph. I mean, that... But having said that, you have to sort of stand back and say, when we found out that she was that sick, Morley said to me, you go, you do what you have to do, don't worry about it, just do it. And so... I mean, he gave me the privilege of being able to be there whenever and however I wanted to be. So that kind of, I, I had a real sense of being able just to go without any sense of guilt or whatever. Um, and that, that's probably the hardest thing that I've ever, ever experienced because I was the older sister. I was all, I mean, she was always going to be there. And, and, you know, and, and Morley knows this, um, but, you know, I, I said to him, it wasn't that we were going to do anything to you and Uncle David. It's just that we always assumed that at the end it would be Annie, Steph, and me, and, you know, we'd move in together and just be old together, bang our canes on the ground and say to everybody, it's time you came to see us. <laughs> so, you know... So I, you know, your questions are interesting, but they're very difficult for me to answer because I don't have the answers, and um, and I haven't. I'm, I am very analytical without any question, and it's not my greatest strength. Um, so I can be very analytical, but I've tried over the years to not do that. I mean, that doesn't serve any great purpose for me to sort of get into something. Um, you know, I mean, when you um, when you were struggling last fall, um, it broke my heart. It really broke my heart. But I, but I, my first focus was to say, your first thing is, well, what can I do? And the second is to say, well, you know what? All you really have to do is tell them how much you care. And then we'll go on from there. And so it's sort of not feeling that you can jump in and take over. And it's, you know, I have a lot of friends who've lost their husbands or, or lost their wives or whatever. And I don't believe that I can say to them, I know exactly how you feel, because I don't. Hmm. It's a very, very personal thing. And, and how everybody deals is very personal um, in terms of what makes them feel better. Some people, and, and I, I mean, I don't even go there because that almost sounds judgmental, you know? And so, and it's the same thing in the same sort of way as, you know, we've gone to quite a few funerals and um, you sort of think, you, you take them for the people as as a as an experience for the people for whom it's really important, and that's so you don't sort of stand in judgment. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's no, that does. Kind of conversation you want this to have or not? <laughs> You're perfect. And so, and in terms of my question, I mean, you you always seem to be optimistic, and so I understand that you experience sadness, but but that was never visible to me, and so you know, when you're experiencing it, is there this tendency not to show it to the world or you just have never given the opportunity or you don't? I'm just curious. 
That's a really interesting question. No, I mean, I can, I think... I, I'm surprised you say you've never seen me sad, because I would have thought you saw me really sad when Annie Steph was so sick, and certainly after she died. And right. certainly there's lots of times when I say very openly, I truly miss her. Right. So... Um, um, you know, I remember after Duncan died and, and I was talking, you know, again, at the time we had the most amazing minister. He was just an incredible person. And he actually was in Toronto. And, um, but he came to Kitchener to see Duncan yeah. twice, three times. Um, and he also took his memorial service, which was very special. Um, but, um, and I can remember saying to him, so, like, I didn't know how I'd react. You know, I sort of said, and, and, and I said, and he was one of the ones, I said, you know, I remember walking out of the church with Randy and Steffi, and I was very composed, I guess. I, I know I was. And I said, I just wondered if that was awful. I mean, was that appropriate? And he said to me, so what did you think would have been appropriate that you were, you know, um, what's the word? He, that you were sort of, you know, rigid, upset, weeping, wailing, carry, and someone had to carry him to church. He said, like, uh, you know, what, what are you trying to say you should have been? He said, you were who you were. Right. And he said you were in a situation where... I mean, I had everybody who I loved all around me. Um, they were all there because they really cared. And I guess that was more how I was feeling at the time. It doesn't mean that I didn't have times of really great zen or that I haven't had cries or that I don't well up with tears or thing. I mean, you've seen me in church when I get, you know, emotional about things. Um, so it's not that I'm not emotional. It's just, um, I just have an inherent, really inherent sense of good fortune. Hmm. And, and, but I don't want you to think that I get up every morning, you know, singing a happy song. And, and dancing because except you know, for that what, what are you used to saying you're the, the red red robin that one <laughs> well that's, that's funny because you say that because that's ringing in my ear but but it's um I, I I I I guess I'm somewhat um anxious that um you have this perception that nothing bothers me or that I'm always um, because that's things do bother me, right. and I do, um, and I do have days when I sort of think everything's not too terrific. Um, I think I think you know I, I know that it's bothered you. It's just that it's never. I mean, I wasn't at Granny Steph's funeral too, and so I've just I've never seen you really upset, and I, so I was just curious whether that was you not wanting to share because I mean a lot of what I'm trying to talk about in this podcast is a vulnerability because we as a society you know have a fear of being vulnerable yeah. and some people have told me you know are you comfortable being this vulnerable out and sharing it with people and I said well yeah because 
everyone is going to be vulnerable at some point in their lives. So I'm just curious as is whether you find that you are I afraid to mean or I don't or or you're afraid to be vulnerable. I mean maybe that's I don't know. Well, the, that's that's a really good question. Um, I I also you know that's a really good question because there's a group at the church who do meditation mm-hmm. and um, I've um, I've went a couple of times. But I really am not that comfortable sharing all of my sort of feelings um, openly with a whole big group of people. I'll share them with somebody individually who I trust or I feel. And, and I would say there, there are a lot of people who have no idea um, what my life has been or not been. Um, but there are people who are very aware. I mean, Susie Scase certainly is very aware. Mary Armstrong is certainly very aware. Um, your mom is. Um, Steph is. Um, Annie Steph, well, I mean, there was nothing Annie and Steph and I didn't share with each other. Um, so it's not that I don't sort of, you know, feel vulnerable, but uh, it's, and I don't know how to really express it, whether it's um, when it's appropriate or... But it's not right. really appropriate. It's just... Um, I, Comf- you know, comfortable? Well, it's just... I, no, it's like... Yeah. Uh, there are... And, and I mean, it's interesting. Like, over the 20-whatever years, Morley and I've been married... Um, you know, we talk about a lot of things, and there's times where, you know, it's all out there, and there's other times when, well, maybe not tonight's not the night that we really want to get into those sort of things. But it's not, it, it's, um, um, and I also think, I'm not sure, I'd like to think I'm good about living in the moment. Like, mm. you're here, it's great to see you, I'm happy to talk to you. Um, I wanted to talk about that too. I mean, because how, you know, finding out that, that Duncan was going to die in six months meant that you had six months to cherish him, live in the moment, appreciate yeah. that. But, you know, is there a way or, or did that experience teach you to always appreciate everything around you and to live in the moment because there could be something like that would happen or uh, perhaps but not consciously right I mean you know I mean the oncologists all said to us well you you know everybody needs to live in the moment because I mean it's it's a standard line with that kind of care um, and um, but it's interesting <clears throat> yesterday we were at a memorial for Dun- for Morley's cousin and he had Parkinson's, and the last six months he was really, really ill, and he was on his own. He had no wife or partner. And one of his daughters had spent a lot of time looking after him, and it was a six-month period. She didn't live close, so she lived in Campbellville, and she had to travel to be with him. and And she spoke yesterday. And I said to her, were you, I just said, were you not really, really grateful that you had the chance to do that? 
thought after her sentence, perhaps not the way I should have put it, but I did. She said, I do not regret one minute of the time I spent with them. Hmm. And, and so it's, and yet, and yet it's not that, um, and it was the same with Annie Steph. It wasn't that um, I knew it was only going to be weeks or whatever. It was more like, well, we had today, you know, so we'll... Um, and so how do you cultivate that in I don't day-to-day know. life? I don't know. Hmm. I honestly can't tell you. And, I, you know, and I think in fairness, if you were to ask Morley, he would say some days I'm better at it than others. But I usually... Um, and, and one of the things that's quite frustrating for me is that I can get the energy to do something like that, but then when I have to sit down to look at my desk, which is a mess, and I need to go through it, throw out the papers and organize it, I don't have the energy. You know, so, I, you know, I mean, there are certain things that can energize me and other things that can just overwhelm mm-hmm. me. Interesting. So the, the last thing that I, I that you brought up that I wanted to chat about is you said that, you know, when you were speaking with someone who maybe lost a husband or a wife, you shied away from saying, you know, I understand how you feel or offering advice because that can come off as really judgmental. But I like what you said yesterday when you said to her, you know, weren't you grateful for the time that you'd spent with them? Because it sounds to me that that was coming from a place of, Maybe, maybe it's empathy of being in that same situation. And so, you know, my question to you is how do you support someone else when you've gone through something similar without coming across as, you know, I know better than you? And, and, and how do you do that in a way that... Well, I first of all tend to be quite reticent about saying, well... I lost my husband and I lost my parents. I've never heard you I say know that. that. Yeah. So I, that's not my thing. Um, I can, I tend more to say to people, um, uh, I try to, to remember how I felt and sort of give them, somehow find a way to give them permission to tell me how they're feeling. It's mm-hmm. not about how I felt. It's about how can I get them to say how they're feeling because that's what it's all about. It isn't about how I'm feeling. And so sometimes it, sometimes it's very easy because it just happens. Other times you can, I can get quite um, stressed about finding the right way to inter- interact with somebody. Um, and so... Um, and, and so I, I really am very careful about what I say to people because this isn't about a litany of what I've experienced, but it's about being able to say, I really care how you're feeling, you know, um, would you like to tell me about it? And if they don't want to tell me about it, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's. Because I feel I feel really strongly about that, Jake. I mean, that's something that's very, um, very important to me that I don't lay my trip on anybody else. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's that's. I and, think that's really and so, important. And so, and um, so, uh, 
You're very good at that. Well, I, and, I did grow up at the dining room table being told to never forget there are two sides to every story. You used to remind my brother and I of that all the time. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and so you know your side very well. You just have to remember there's another side as well. So it's how do you make sure that you have a chance to understand that side? And I, th- and I think that's a really great thing to be aware of, in- including for me, because I, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to someone and trying to share advice about what I've been through, I focus on this is what worked for me, this is blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of saying, okay, well, you know, you don't understand or you don't know. And so you have to listen and really, you just have to listen instead well, of speak. Because you honestly, Jake, you don't know. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know. You know where you were, mm-hmm. but you don't really know where anyone else is. You know, and and if you think back through the people who helped you through your journey, and you look at the ones who were the greatest help, whatever, whatever support. I mean, I help us, but mm. so if you look at that, what were the things that really made a difference to you? Was it the people who sat down and said, well, this is what you should do? No. No. No, it was the people who sort of, sort of, you know, effectively held you and said, okay, so there's some things here that may help you. What do you want to choose? Which would feel right to you? And it's interesting because my dad had a very similar, quiet way of, of, of offering things. And he was very thoughtful. And so, you know, we talked about something one day and the next day he'd come home from work and said, you know, I've been thinking about this all day. Do you mind if I share what I've yeah. been thinking about instead of blah, 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 you know? And so I really appreciated him asking. And I was, I was just more receptive to what he had to say because the way he was saying it wasn't in a place of I'm better than you or blah, blah, blah. And, and it was very thoughtful. And I think, too, is we have a tendency to, you know, I don't know for you, but you, you don't remember the moments when you were in them. They feel a lot worse when looking back. And so, you know, now that I'm feeling better, it's it's hard to go back to how I think back to how I was feeling then and how the other person might mm-hmm. be feeling. And so I think that's something that I, I need to, to work on for sure. Well, as I say, I, it, it's about giving them the opportunity to tell you and accepting the fact if they don't want to tell you, that's just fine, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, in our conversation when you were saying that difference between this aspect of what you're doing and what Jack.org does, in a way, um, Jack.org is trying to find a way that they can generically provide a, a support system. They can, you know, do more and more for people. Um, I don't know if you saw the article in the Globe today about somebody who started a counseling service, a not-for-profit counseling service mm-hmm. downtown. Yeah. And um, I think you can get, I think there's a limited number, but I think it's 10 sessions, which would only cost $50 each. Mm-hmm. And it's about giving people who are in uh, in the city a place where they can go that is within their their means, so to speak. 
It's a very, anyway, well, I just thought, well, you see, that's more, you know, that's kind of um, the, the focus to me for trying to kind of put, you know, it's the safety net. For sure. You know, so, I don't know, I don't know if that's what, if that's what you hoped I would say or what you wanted to talk about. I had no about. hopes of what you would say, that was perfect. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, um, it's hard because it's not something I think a lot about or I... What, what specifically? Well, sort of how I think or what I do or, mm-hmm. you know, um, you just, but you just do I, it. Just, I just do it. Having said that, I do have things that ground me that, you know, it's like going to church grounds me, um, going to see my psychologist grounds me, because even now I go and I walk in, I think, well, I don't have I'm one clue. What am I here for? Like, you know, I'm fine. And yet, as we talk, um, it's amazing. Um, sometimes we talk about what's going on in the world, you know, whatever, but it's... it's um, you know, and sometimes there are things that I realize are bothering me that I have no idea they're bothering me. Yeah. So. There you go. There you go. Okay. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.